And this word worship, I mean, it, it's, it's a pretty heavy word. Now, I don't know if we always see it that way. And right now, just a little exercise. I would like you guys to write down in your bulletin, you know, what are the words that come to mind when you think of worship? Write them down, just, just really quickly, what comes to mind? I'm guessing most of you will probably put some church, singing, something along those lines. When I think of this word worship, I go back to a time when I was in college. I was probably about a junior, and there was this little small country church that was on the outskirts of Charleston, Illinois, and I would have to drive by it, and I would have when I went home, and I would have to drive by it again when, when I came to school. And I probably saw this church hundreds of times. Now, this is going to sound very judgmental of me. Probably it, this, is, this is awful of me. But I remember distinctly driving by that church one time and thinking about the people that were going in and thinking about their worship service. Now, here's the deal. This is why it's so judgmental of me, because I didn't know these people. I mean, I may have kind of bumped shoulders with them in town. I don't know. But I remember thinking, what a waste. What a waste, because this is what I thought went on in that church. Now, like I said, very judgmental of me, but <clears throat> I thought about the people who would come in. They'd probably been doing it for years. People that barely knew each other, and they hardly liked each other. And they would get together, and they'd come through the building, probably 30 or 40 of them, and they would hand them this little piece of paper that they called them a bulletin, and you'd open up that bulletin, and there would be an order of worship. And in that order of worship, there'd be some songs listed, and then there would be a guy's name and a scripture underneath, and then his sermon, in which he was probably preaching way too long, and on a topic that probably wasn't relevant to their life at all. And people would come to this place, and they would call it worship. So, as a super smart and idealistic college student, I couldn't help but think, isn't there something else that they could be doing better with their time for that hour, hour and a half that they spent in that little country building? So if you ask me what comes to mind when you say the word worship, and you ask that younger idealistic college student, there were times I would have said, worship is boring, dull, irrelevant, odd. And not a show of hands, but you know, can anybody relate to that? And we associate worship with church, but let's be honest, even as we sit here today in this movie theater, we might be thinking to ourselves, why do we do this? What in the world is this all about? And we may even take it a step further. Because sometimes we come into worship and you see that person that really, really gets into worship. They are raising their hands and they're belting it out and they're crying and they may even be jumping to the left and jumping to the right. And you might use these words to describe worship, which would be, Strange. Weird. Now, you can be honest and show your hand on this one. How many of you, when you've seen me up here leading worship, you've thought, strange. <laughs> Weird. That's okay. I can take it. I'll cry afterwards. Just, just, just kidding. Just kidding. But let's go back to that question. 
couldn't we do something better with our time? With the 150 or so people that are in this building. But let's even think outside of ourselves. Let's go down the street just a little bit to the Catholic Church. And go down a little bit further to the Presbyterian Church. Across the way to Morningstar. To Calvary Church. To Harvester Christian Church. To the Crossing. Go across the world to North Point Church. Willow Creek. Saddleback. All these thousands of churches where millions of people attend. Is there something that we could be doing better with our time in this hour that could be more productive in this world? That could make a difference? And let's not just think about the people and the man hours. Let's think about the resources that go into church. Think about the money that is spent on the rock bands and the light shows and some of these huge churches and even our church, the money that's spent. Is there something better that we could be doing than what we're doing right now to help the world? So I asked you, you know, think about the words. One of the other words that I'd like you to think about in association of worship is dangerous can worship be dangerous and i say that because on the one hand if there is something else better that we could do be doing with our time isn't it dangerous that we we're doing it and on the other hand if i was a college student and i'm driving by that little church building and someone had told me there's something dangerous going on in that little building my whole perspective would have changed especially junior high high school college student that's, my, you know, that's, that's what I want to be a part of. If I hear there's danger out there. Now, there's a book out there called, by Mark Laberton, and it's called The Dangerous Act of Worship. And what he says in his book is that everything, that is what is at stake in worship. The urgent, indeed troubling message of Scripture is that everything that matters, everything in this world, everything that matters, that is what at stake it worship. And I'm here to say, that is dangerous. It's a bold claim. Now, as a college student, as a high school student, I may have said, nothing. Nothing. That's what's at stake at worship. So in honor of Valentine's Day and uh, to tell you a dangerous story, I'm going to tell you how Tracy and I, we first met. Now, I was uh, just recently graduated college in 1996, and I decided that I wanted to be, I wanted to be a minister. And I'd gone on a uh, missions trip, and then I interned at Harvester Christian Church. and had the non-traditional degree, uh, and so I thought I need to get some church experience. So I, I go from small little town to the suburbs of St. Louis, and let me tell you, m- some of you may have experienced this, but there is nothing lonelier than a single guy in the suburbs of St. Louis. I mean... <laughs> You can all say, aw, for me at once if you want, but uh, you guys are too kind. But I, I tell you what, I was, I was bored out of my mind and, and extremely lonely. Uh, I sat in my brother's basement where I stayed, uh, and I learned to play guitar during that time because I had nothing else better to do. So I would play my guitar until my fingers bled and hurt so bad I couldn't play anymore. Then I would go to the church where they always had something going on, whether it be volleyball or basketball or youth meetings or whatever, and, and I would spend as much time there as possible because I, here I go from college where I have this big support system to a place where everybody's got families and probably have more important things to do rather than spend it with a 24-year-old guy that is kind of, you know, playing guitar. So I go play volleyball, and I quite... I thought I was quite a good volleyball player. Um, it, and I was never really on a team. 
But every team would say, hey, Brian, why don't you be on our team? Why don't you be on our team? Except for this one team. This one team was always short a player, and they would never let me on their team. Kind of made me sad. And I remember there was a certain girl that was on this team that I took notice of. First time I see her walking down the hallway, I thought, you know what? She'd make somebody a fun wife. And, and this is a little sappy, a little, you know, a little cheesy, but you know how you kind of shake hands after and you kind of go to the other sides during the sporting events? Shook her hand one time, and I was like, wow, this is, this is kind of neat. But I didn't really think much about it until Pat Merrill, the preacher's wife, she came up to me one time, I'm sitting in the office, and she says, hey, Brian, um, there's somebody I think you ought to consider. And I said, yes. And she said, well, I can't tell your name, but she got out the church directory and said, this girl right here, and, and it was Tracy Good. And I went, really? Um, I might be a little interested in that too. That, that, sound, that sounds good. So we, uh, uh, the next, now I've got my radar open, okay? And I go uh, to one of the youth meetings, and after the youth meeting, I decide, say, hey, Tracy, would you like to go to Dairy Queen, that little Dairy Queen that's right next to Harvester Christian Church? And we go, and we talk, and we talk so long they had to kick us out of the building. So then we go out to the parking lot, and we talked for a little bit longer, and it was cold, and I, and I remember it like it was yesterday. Now, here's, here's why I tell the story. It's because when I was leaving to go to my car, I knew that if I were to see her again, my world was going to be turned upside down, that she was going to wreck my world completely, and wreck it in a good way. I remember sitting there like it was yesterday in that booth and seeing her smile and laugh at my stupid stories and listen to me intently and, and walking out to kind of the, the brisk cold and talking with her and leaning against my Ford probe at the time. And I knew that everything, everything was going to change because of that one dangerous encounter. There are three billion women out there in this world. And at that moment, I said, I want to follow this one. None of the other ones matter. I'm going in this direction. And I had a choice to make, and I knew it was going to change everything in my life. And it did change everything in my life. <clears throat> that encounter was extremely dangerous. Is our worship dangerous? Do we have dangerous encounters with God? And I'm going to take us to five places in worship in Scripture, and I'm going to talk about this idea of worship. We're going to start with Psalm 34, 8. Psalm 34, 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in it. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, this is what happened at Dairy Queen. This is what happened when I'm talking with Tracy, and I saw her playing volleyball, and I touched her hand, and, and we go out and, and we talk a little bit more. I got the taste. And that taste that said, that is what I want. In another comparison, which isn't quite as life-changing, you go to the deli, and they say, hey, would, I would like to try the boiled ham, and they give you a taste. And you go, eh. Then you say, I'd like the Bavarian ham. And you say, that is what I want. I'd rather have that. The same thing is going on here with worship. And hear this very carefully. When we're talking about worship, and by what I mean is true worship, 
I'm not just talking about singing, which is what we most commonly think about. We're talking about someone who has tasted the life that God desires. They've tasted the life that God wants. The kind of life that has rearranged everything in their life. And that person says, I could pursue three billion other types of things. But God, since I've tasted what you want, I want to follow you. That's what I'm going to give my life to. That's what I'm going to live for, and that's what I'm going to die for. Which leads us to our next scripture, Isaiah 29, 13. Isaiah 29, 13 says, The Lord says, These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is of me is made up only of rules taught by men. Now this scripture needs very little explanation because we've all been there, haven't we? We've, we may have done it ourselves. We've gone through the times where we've just given lip service to God or we've seen people that are just going through the motions. It's kind of like we, we go into church and we can check off our little box that says, I've done my duty for the day. I've worked in the children's ministry. I've sang in the praise van. I've taken communion, whatever it might be. Check, 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 check. Now I can go out into the world and pursue what I really want to pursue. When we talk about worship, I think sometimes people think, well, I've got to muster up this worship. I've got to, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm singing and, you know, maybe there's something that I, I'm supposed to worship God and so I just, I'll try to muster it up. I'll try to get it, get it from within my bowels so that I can, I can worship him with everything I've got. But what God is saying and what God wants us from us and what he's getting at with this Isaiah passage is that we're all worshiping something. He wants us to transfer what we're worshiping now to worshiping him. All it is is a transfer. It's not a mustering up because my God is what I live my life around. My God is what I desire most. It's demonstrated in the little thing I did at the beginning. Do you want to know what I really worship? You walk with me. You follow me. You live with me. You see what I worship, not by what I say, but what I do. If you want to know what I worship, we worship food, we worship family, we worship gadgets, we worship our money. It's those things that I desire and I build my life around, giving up all else to attain. That is what worship is. And that's why dangerous is a great word to think of when we talk about worship. If you're truly worshiping, pursuing, seeking, desiring, it changes everything. Your life takes its cue off those desires and actions. In this Isaiah scripture, it leads me to another college story. Now, my freshman year in college, I probably have my best stories my freshman year in college about all the stupid, stupid things that I did. But many of you probably can relate. I go from you know, my, my home where I had my support system, and I grew up in church, and I went to church every Sunday. Um, I get to college. And that support system's not there anymore. And so it is so, well, I'm going to use the word easy right now, but it's not really easy. <clears throat> it was easy for me to try to live the Sunday life and to live the college life. But the thing is, I found out it wasn't easy. I, mean, I felt awful. I realized I wasn't very good at either one of these lives until someone came up to me and they asked me to, come to Wednesday night Bible study. Now, I'd been going to the, the Sunday morning stuff, and I'd been doing that, but I will forever be grateful for the person that invited me. 
Because I go to the Wednesday night service and Roger Songer, he starts talking about how so many people live on the fence. And how living on the fence is more difficult to do than anything else. Because the part of me that wants to follow Jesus is so frustrated by the part of me that wants to live the college life. And the, person, the part of me that's living the college life is so frustrated by the part of me that wants to live for Jesus. And I found out that I had to choose one or the other because I could not be good at either one of those types of lives as long as I was trying to live both. And I had to make a decision. What is going to satisfy me? What is going to lead me to a fulfilled life? Is it the Sunday life or is it the college life? And that Bible study made me decide and made me understand We've got to give God our all. Which leads me to another story in the Bible, and it feels like I, I've preached on this ad nauseum, but I'm going to give you the uh, super, super short cliff notes. There was a Jesus, there was a Jesus, Jesus. He's talking to a Samaritan woman, and they're at a well. Many of you have probably heard the story before. Well, they get into this theological discussion because the Jews and the Samaritans are drastically different. The Jews believe that you're supposed to worship in Jerusalem. The Samaritans believe you're supposed to worship in Mount Gerizim. And they have this dialogue. And in John 4, the woman said, Sir, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. And now here's our next scripture that I want us to kind of hit on. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. He's saying what I heard in that Bible study, that we cannot be double-minded that we've got to make a decision. We've got to be all in. We've got to decide, you know, am I going to live this way or am I going to live this way? Because there's no division in worship within our souls. See, Jesus is saying, worship is not about location. It's not about style. It's not about hymns versus guitars. It's not about this mountain or that mountain. It's not about rock bands versus choirs. It's not about what we do here on this day as opposed to all the other days. It's about worshiping God in spirit and in truth, which leads us to the next scripture, which is Romans 12.1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies, everybody say it with me, as living sacrifices. Holy and pleasing to God, this is your spiritual act of worship. He's calling us to live differently, to live sacrificially, to live for God when we talk about that we're supposed to live a life of sacrifice, this is one of those Christian words that we hear all the time. But I really hope you understand that it's about giving everything else up. It's about even though my heart is still beating, it now beats only for God. That God has to become the center of our lives and not on the throne of worship is just me. That I have to replace myself with God because so many of us I think we put God up here and we can say well you know what God is a part of me just like my job is a part of me and my family is a part of me and my work my play is a part of me and I like the cardinals and that's a part of me and that's make who makes me who I am what God is saying is no you have to put God in the center God is who makes you who you are and all these other things are just things that you like 
and when we make him our satisfaction, our desire, our trust, our security, it liberates us to live differently. So now we can think about the brokenness in this world and we can go out and we can do something about it. We can make sacrifices for those around us. We can make a difference in this broken world. As you are a living sacrifice, that is our true act of worship. And we're putting, our true act of worship is putting God in display of our entire life. All right, so we're almost to the end. At this point, you might be thinking, you know what, Brian? You're right. Let's go back to that first question. Could we do something better with our time? And if that's the answer, if our lives are just supposed to be a spiritual act of worship, then what in the world are we doing in this building? Why can't we just go out and we can live for God all the time and that we can show the world how much we love him just by what we do? So we don't really need this place, do we? Well, the answer to that is it depends. It depends. Nate sang a song. And in that song were the lyrics, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for the courts of love. Prone to wonder. Prone to leave the God I love. Now I know that song because I've lived that song. That's my heart. But the great thing about that song is another verse says, Come thou fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. My heart, it bends out of tune, and I need God to come back and to to tune me up again. I need him to purify me. And when we come into this building, and we sing the songs, and we take communion together, and and we're in one spirit, there is something powerful. There is something meaningful. There is something deep. There is something profound that happens when people gather and worship God together. See, on my own, I'm prone to wonder. Even though I, I want my heart to desire God, I want my mind and my will to do the things of God and to follow him, It always doesn't work that way, does it? And that's why we need this place. So I can get a taste. So I can be renewed. So I can live a worship-filled life. Our last scripture, Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with wall wisdom as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. So scripture tells us that we are supposed to get together. We're supposed to scream, scream. sing we're supposed to learn about sermons we're supposed to learn about him we're supposed to get together we're supposed to encourage each other so i want to ask the question one last time is there something else better that we could be doing with this hour than what we're doing and the answer is if this gathering is just something that we're doing and giving lip service to god No, this hour isn't worth it. We could be doing something far better. But if this gathering inspires us to keep God at the center of our lives, then we end up with something far more radical and dangerous than if we just did something for one hour a week.
See, if this tunes our hearts back to God, we end up with a people that are sent out to lead dangerous and productive lives the other 167 hours of the week. So, why do we worship? Why do we come here? Why do we do what we do? I'm going to show a video, and I'd like you to just kind of search your heart. Think about the words that are on that screen. Think about where we worship, how we worship, and have you given your life completely to God?